One of the best pieces of advice I ever got from someone was this. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Maybe some of you have heard that before. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Now at the time I was working at a company, this was before I entered the seminary, and my supervisor told me this because sometimes I had a tendency to be a perfectionist. And it's good, of course, to do good work, but this would kind of stall me. It would, it would prevent me from moving forward. And then I had teammates who would get behind because of this. And ultimately, if you don't take a few risks, you're stuck there forever. You can't kind of continue forward in a project. So he told me then and there, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And that was very helpful advice for me. I think in our spiritual life, when we're following Jesus, we too can at times make the perfect the enemy of the good. Jesus, of course, calls us to be perfect, but none of us are perfect. So how do we respond? What, we, what do we do with this reality? Sometimes we may grow discouraged because we look at our lives and we see sins that are there, we realize we're not perfect, and we might just throw up our hands and say, forget about it. Maybe I'll just give up. I'll stop following Jesus altogether. Or maybe we recognize our weakness, our imperfection, so we don't feel that we're worthy to serve, whether it's in the church or in our community. We make the perfect the enemy of the good. The message of today's gospel, it seems, is just this, the same sort of thing my supervisor told me. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. In the gospel today, we see that Jesus Christ accepts and loves Peter in his imperfections. Today's gospel is such a beautiful post-resurrection encounter between Jesus and his disciples. And towards the end of the gospel, we heard about this beautiful interaction around this charcoal fire when Jesus is having breakfast. And Jesus turns to Peter ultimately and asks him three times, do you love me? And Jesus responds three times, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, as is often remarked, this threefold questioning of Peter, giving Peter the chance to say three times that he loves Jesus, is kind of an undoing or act of reparation or forgiveness for the three betrayals or denials of which Peter gave Jesus during his trial. So we know, of course, that during his trial, Jesus, Peter was asked three times if he knew Jesus and three times denied it. So therefore, after the resurrection, Peter asked Jesus if he loves him three times in order to forgive him and show him a way forward. But we see here in this very act that Jesus Christ accepts people in their weakness. Jesus hand chose Peter to be the leader of the disciples. After Peter turned his back on Jesus, Jesus presumably could have chosen someone else to lead them. But rather, Jesus Christ accepted Peter where he was, forgave him and allowed him to continue forward with his mission. When you dig down a little bit into the text, the original text of the Greek, it gets a little bit more interesting than this. We see an even deeper level to the way that Jesus accepts Peter where he's at and at his imperfection. Now in the Greek language, there's a variety of words used to express the word we have in English, love. And these words don't really come across as much in the translation. So there are in Greek at least three ways to express love. One word to express love is eros, which is like erotic love or romantic love, eros. The second is filio love, which is the love between friends, filio. And the third love is agape love, which is kind of a self-sacrificial love. Agape love gives without any hope of expecting anything in return. 
And in the original of this uh, text here, where it says love in English, there's actually different Greek terms that are being used. And it's quite interesting the way this dialogue proceeds between Jesus and Peter. So when Jesus first asks Peter, do you love me? He's actually saying to Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with this deepest, most self-sacrificial love? And what does Peter respond? In English, it says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. But in the Greek, it says, yes, Lord, you know I filio you. I love you as a friend. So not quite what Jesus was asking for, right? And Jesus asks the second time to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with this love that seeks nothing in return? And Peter answers a second time, yes, Lord, you know I filio you. I love you like a friend. And Jesus could have just left it there. Jesus could have ultimately turned his back on Peter again and chose someone more deserving. But Jesus rather accepts the love which Peter can give him. And Jesus responds the third time, Peter, do you love me? But now he says, Peter, do you filio me? Do you love me as a friend? And Peter responds again as he always have, yes, Lord, you know I filio you. I love you as a friend. So it's quite interesting. We see in the gospel that Peter is not perfect. His love is not perfect. It's not the deepest love that Jesus wants from him, but Jesus accepts him where he is. Ultimately, all of us love Jesus to an extent. We're here, but none of us love Jesus perfectly. And this gospel then is such an encouragement for us that Jesus accepts us, he loves us where we are, and he's going to walk with us to help us to grow. Jesus in the gospel shows us that he accepts us and he accepts Peter in a state of imperfection. Even as Peter is imperfect, he is called to serve. And this is the really important part, I think, of this gospel, that Peter certainly is not at a place that he should be in the end. He is not perfect. His love is not perfect. But even still, Peter call, Jesus is calling Peter to serve his sheep, to feed his lambs, to ultimately go and to serve, to fulfill this mission to which he was called. I really love the figure of Peter in the Gospels because Peter is someone who is always seeming to make mistakes. He's always messing up here and there, but he keeps trying. Jesus keeps forgiving him, keeps helping him, keeps correcting him, and Peter keeps walking along this journey of service, of helping others, of laying down his life slowly but surely for those around him. And in the tradition outside the Gospels, we see stories that kind of continue this pattern of Peter. Just outside the city of Rome, or the main city of Rome, there's a famous chapel called the Quo Vadis Chapel, just outside kind of the city center of Rome. And in this chapel, there's, if you go there, kind of some pavement with two foot marks that have been etched in there. And as the traditional story goes, this is a place where Peter encountered the risen Lord again many years, like 30 years or so after this event, around the year 60 or so. Peter was, of course, serving in Rome as the chief shepherd there in Rome. And during this time, there was a great persecution undertaken by Nero, and Nero was killing and persecuting many Christians. And the story goes is that Peter fled Rome. Peter was walking out of Rome. He was trying to leave and to save his life. And there, where this Quo Vadis Chapel is, he encountered Jesus, the risen Jesus, crossing his path and going back into Rome. And then Peter said to Jesus, Quo Vadis Domine, which is, where are you going, Lord? And Jesus responded to Peter, I am going back into the city to die again with my people or for my people. And at this, of course, Peter was kind of struck to his heart, 
turned around and went back into the city, continued to serve, and ultimately became a martyr. But we see in Peter's life, and we're encouraged to do the same, to recognize that even though we're not perfect, we are called to serve. We are called to serve whoever the sheep in our lives are, those people close to us in need of help. Jesus accepts us in our imperfection, but he ultimately calls us, sends us out on a mission. It's important for us, I think, to recognize that as we follow Christ, we are on a journey. We're never there, we've never quite arrived. We're called, of course, to be perfect, but none of us are perfect. And in the meantime, we're supposed to walk and to journey with Jesus. Throughout history, the church has used in theology and in kind of its description of itself, different images to describe what the church is. Who are we as a community? What are we? What images can we give for the church? Prior to the Second Vatican Council, a very popular or famous image for the church was the perfect society, that the Catholic Church was somehow this perfect society. And of course, there's some important truth to this because ultimately Jesus is the head of the church and Jesus is perfect. But like any image, this image does not completely describe the mystery of the church because we know that as members of the church, we are not perfect. We know all too well that many members of the church leadership are not perfect. So it's a kind of a difficult image to use. In the Second Vatican Council, a very popular image of the documents is that the church is the pilgrim people of God. The church, each one of us, are the pilgrim people of God. This, I think, is a very beautiful image because it stresses that we are on a journey. Jesus is walking with us. We're trying to become more like Christ, but we're not there yet. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail. We're continually walking, following Jesus, and Jesus is with us, supporting us, strengthening us, and help us to, helping us to complete our mission. So even though we're not perfect yet, we're called to serve those sheep in our life. Maybe elderly people we know who are isolated, maybe young people who are in need of help, maybe people who are sick or suffering. We are ultimately on a journey. We are the pilgrim people of God, and along the way, Jesus is there to strengthen us. So today, this morning at the Eucharist, we can recommit ourselves to this mission. We can hear Jesus call our name and ultimately ask if we love him, and we can respond honestly. None of us are there as perfect or have arrived at that perfect love quite yet, but we, in the meantime, are called to serve. Like my supervisor told me so many years ago, in this life of service and following Jesus, we shouldn't let the perfect be the enemy of the good.